Good Gab, sponsored by Skillskin, a nonprofit organization empowering individuals with disabilities through employment. Hey, everybody. Uh, today we have a guest from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Spokane. This is Minister Todd Eckloff. And we are so happy to see you today. Thanks for joining us. It's going to be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm, I'm so happy to be a, among happy people. I, I understand the emphasis here is the positive things that are going on. There's a lot of stuff that's going on that's not positive, but we have to learn to look for the positive. So I'm glad to see some positive people I'm with today, including well, yourself. You definitely have that. The cup runneth over here. Because, yeah, <laughs> All right. we're, we're trying to... Uh, yeah, I don't know. We smile a lot around Skillskin. There's no doubt about that. Our organization, you know, we exist to help people with disabilities find employment. And so there's just a lot of joy that happens there. Some tears in between the joy, yeah. but yeah, yeah it's definitely right. more joy. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I, I'm, uh, again, the minister at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Spokane. I've been here in Spokane since 2011 when I came, came to be minister uh, of the church here. And uh, I, I moved here from Louisville, where I lived for 25 years. I went there as a Southern Baptist to go to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Left that soon after I got there, and became a Unitarian Universalist in 1988 <laughs> uh, with my with my spouse Peggy, who was also a seminary yeah. student. And uh, we became Unitarian Universalists. Ten years later, I re-entered the ministry as a Unitarian Universalist. Was minister at a little church in in Louisville, Kentucky, for about 12 years, and then uh, and then came here, and I've been minister here how does that work like how does like a position become open and then like yeah yeah, how do you move around we we call it going into search so so Uh. unitarian unitarianism for short sometimes you you ism uh is a religion that that is uh, the congregations are autonomous we're we're a liberal religion and so we really believe in in the uh independence of churches so we don't have any kind of hierarchical authority that pushes ministers our way, at least that we're not supposed to. We might get into that later. But uh, so, so churches go into search, and they look for ministers who are in search, and there's kind of a, a website that's been set up on a, at a national organization to kind of connect those folks. And, uh, you know, you kind of look at what the church is about, and if you're interested, you, you, you say, hey, I'm interested, and they look at your resume, and if they're interested, then they call you, and after they get two or three candidates, they narrow it down to one. The congregation votes, and if uh, it's a pretty good turnout, then then you're in. So, and this has been a really good match for me. It's been rough at times, but it's been uh, a really really good place. Spokane and and Unitarian Universalist Church of Spokane, which by the way has been in the community since before it was Spokane. It was still Spokane. Really, Falls. 1887 is when their their charter. Uh, oh yeah, they've been here for written. a long time. Yeah, then. yeah. Well, what about Spokane interested you? Because I'm sure you're like, okay, well, what's Spokane? I got to do a little research. Yeah. Well, the congregation was amazing. I was really impressed with this historic church, including, uh, you know, the, the, the pulpit in Spokane is, has some really rich history. The first minister that came here was a guy named Edwin Wheelock. He was a, a, a Civil War uh, soldier uh, who... Uh, once, once the war was over, he started freedmen schools, uh, one in Louisiana, educated about 10,000 freed slaves, and then went on to Texas and formed another freedmen school and formed the, the Texas Republican Party. 
uh, as I like to say, back when when the Republicans were Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> not to get Long po- time not, ago. not to get political here, but and and then uh, he he came to Spokane to be their first minister. Now he came here with a bounty on his head, wanted dead or alive by the state of Virginia. Wow. For. Uh, Speaking favorably of, of John Brown, the abolitionist who was refo- responsible for the Harper's Ferry incident. So that was pretty radical. And then in 2011, a guy named John Dietrich came from Pennsylvania. He was uh, just excommunicated from the Dutch Reformed Church, first person ever to be excommunicated and, and, and tried for heresy. And so the Spokane Church said, heretics, we want that. So, <laughs> so he came out here, and he went on to become the, the uh, father of religious humanism. He actually dis- discovered his humanism here and became one of the original signers of the Humanist Manifesto. So, so there's only been two philosophies that have been born in the U.S., uh, pragmatism with John Dewey and then uh, humanism. And John Dietrich was really the on the forefront of that. That happened the, right here in Spokane. Right here in Spokane, it's a historic, historic person, historic figure, one of the two preeminent American philosophers in history. And it just so happened accidentally, uh, I was I was installed at the church here on November seventh, twenty eleven. And as I started doing history on Dietrich, his first sermon was November seventh, nineteen eleven. So years. hundred years to the day. So I, I I might be his reincarnation. He died about five <laughs> years before I was born. So, <laughs> well, so yeah, the, the, there's a history of shaking it up in Spokane and leading, you know, movements and the charge. What's the church been up to, you know, under your watch? Yeah, the church has has a long history of doing some amazing things. Uh, since I've been here, I think the biggest things we were involved in was marriage equality. Uh, I. I uh, I became uh, interested in in gay rights in in Louisville, you know, from way back when. But particularly when in 2011, uh, Louisville became one of 11 states to pass. Uh, I said 2011, uh, 2004 <laughs> uh, became one. When, when it was the George Bush's second term, and marriage equality became the big deal. Yeah, right? it was so, a real big deal. Real big deal. So. Kentucky was one of 11 states to become uh, to, to actually pass laws in their state constitutions outlawing gay marriage, defining it as between one man and one woman. So I got up in my pulpit the next Sunday and I said, look, I, I can no longer in good conscience perform marriages for anyone until I'm free, as my faith requires me to perform them equally for everyone, including gays and lesbians. That was in the news. I ended up being fired from a secular job that sort of was my bread and bread and butter uh, that kind of thing. And, and then, you know, part Man, of just for standing up for something that was right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's certainly how I feel. They, <laughs> they, they might say different, uh, my, my former employers, but anyway, we went to court and it was settled out of court and all that stuff, but it took a long time. And, uh, but anyway, I, you know, I really needed to make a better living. My kids were getting older and, and, uh, I either was going to have to go back and get a second job to support my ministry or get a ministry that could support me. So that was part of the, the reason for searching. And when I came here, uh, it just so happened that Washington state was, had, had the marriage equality law that, that, you know, about a year, think about a year or so after I, I arrived and this was going to be historic for, for the U.S. because ours, ours would be the first state to pass marriage equality by popular vote. Right. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of states that had passed it legislatively, mm-hmm. and then there'd be referendums to overturn that. 
but we were going to vote for it as the citizenry. We had about uh, a 25% a, uh, favorability here on the east side of Washington six months before that vote was to take place, uh, which meant it was going to lose. Right. We, we needed at least 45%. That was the magic number. That that was the magic number. We knew we knew King County and all the yeah. west side was going to carry it, but it was going to lose on the east side, and, and it would fail. So our church put together a, a uh, people of faith support freedom to marry campaign, and we got billboards, and we got 16, 17 local religious leaders from all a variety of faiths, well-known faces. We put these billboards up in about three prominent traffic areas. And that was really huge. And then it so happened that just before the election, Rick Santorum was going to come to town, speak at the convention center, and, and uh, try to make sure that it did not gain any more favorability. But he arrived right after Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney had made his famous 49% remark. Right. Right. So they were really paranoid of having the news media recording what, what was going on inside the convention center. So the media, you know, this was the big, the big fish in the small pond story. They were here to cover it. They couldn't get in and get access to Rick Santorum. So they're all on the street. So we're out <laughs> demonstrating our Freedom to Marry uh, campaign. And so that was in the news, right? That so, became the news. That became the news. So this became a very successful can- campaign for us. Thank you, Rick Santorum. And by the time the election happened, it was 50% countywide, 55% in, in Spokane proper, and, and our congregation, I like to say our congregation takes a lot of credit for that. By the way, there was a congregation out in, in Seattle, I don't want to leave them out, the, the West Side UU congregation that actually donated some money for this cause, so it was in partnership yeah. with, some, with some friends on the West Side as well. But feel really good about that. Then the other thing we really got involved in. Well, well I want to just comment on yeah. that for a okay. second because right. that is when I, you know, um, really had some awareness around the UU church. It was mm-hmm. like, I didn't know. I didn't know what it was. I still am, don't <laughs> yeah. know exactly. Yeah, don't know what, yeah. Like, so I'm, maybe if you could just help our listeners understand, you know, like, what is the UU church? Sure. So, uh, and it's a complicated question, so I'll try to be as, as, as simple as I can. Unitarianism and universalism were two theological ideas in Christianity that are ancient. I mean, the first systematic theologian in Christianity, uh, why am I forgetting his name right now? Anyway, it'll come to me. Uh, he he uh, was, a, was a universalist. And he disbelieved in hell. Okay. And this was in, you know, uh, written around 150, you know. Ancient. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this, this ancient stuff. And, and then uh, Unitarianism was simply really, you could, you could liken it to, to the Jewish belief in one God. It was just the idea there's one God. Uh, so there was this disbelief that Jesus was part of a trinity. Uh, and, and it was just, you know, he was a human being that, that had great teachings. He was God's child. Like he said, all of us are, that sort of thing. But he had humanitarian, communitarian teachings that could change the world. That was kind of the original thought. That was really Unitarianism. And then as, as Christianity became Romanized, uh, and the Hellenists had a very different belief about human beings and divine, divinity, that sort of thing, it was no problem worshiping a human being. 
And as time went on, uh, the argument increased. The uh, belief that Jesus was himself a god or being elevated to God uh, became popular. Uh, they had the Council of Nicaea to settle this dispute, and that was where the the concept that the Father and the Son were one thing was invented. And then uh, 50 years later, in 380, they had another conference, and they threw the Holy Spirit in, and, and you had the Trinity. So the Trinitarianism was really born in opposition to this older idea that Jesus was a human being. Now, so these were just became two heretical ideas, uh, the disbelief in hell, which morphed into an idea of a, of a loving God that everybody's included. But they floated around out there. They moved into silence for about a thousand years during the, the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. And then as soon as the printing press opened up, it came, it reopened. And very soon, Unitarianism in particular was born in Transylvania. They were the first group in, in 1568 to uh, where a king became a Unitarian and passed a religious toleration law that allowed everybody to worship as they wanted, whether they were Christians or Muslims or, you know, there was a, no fighting. And so uh, that's the first time it became formalized. And so there's an Eastern Europe branch of Unitarianism. By the time it migrated to the United States, it was, it was really the Enlightenment thinkers who were founding this country that became Unitarians uh, in the sense that they really valued the philosophy of freedom, freedom of thought, freedom, freedom of speech, freedom to participate in society without prejudice, reason, not only to think well, but that I have to trust that you can think well. <laughs> I can't get put, put a doctrine on you or say, here's what you have to believe, right? Reason is, is a faith in others' ability to think. And tolerance where we disagree. All of this in, based in a positive belief of human, in humanity that every person is born with an inherent worth and dignity. And this is what our societies must be based on. So a lot of the founders were Unitarians, and they you know created the the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, which were really an experiment in trying to make this work. Incredible. I was yeah. not aware. Yeah. So, so American Unitarianism, it, it really evolved a little bit differently, and it is, it is a, a liberal religion from the Enlightenment, where the Eastern European is from the Renaissance, right? So, so, so this, is, this is where we've been. We, but in 1961, the Universalists and the Unitarian felt they were close enough that they could join and form the Unitarian Universalist Association. So now we're called UUs, and most of us don't know what that means. We unfortunately have lost some of our connectedness to our roots and to our history and to those values. So the, actually the church is in quite a bit of turmoil mm. right now, like a lot of progressive liberal organizations are. But boy, we've been working to do a lot of good things throughout our history, largely around issues of justice and freedom and tolerance. And so that's really what the religion is at least rooted in and what most of us who come to it value most of all. And so we get involved in yeah. these sort of issues where it doesn't matter if you know we're gay or straight or whatever, if, if a human being of any ilk is in trouble, we want to be there in solidarity and do what we can. and yeah. come alongside That's support right. that issue. Yeah. Okay. That helps a lot. I hope yeah. so. No, it does for sure. I know we're following that now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So now, you know, you said there's a lot of, you know, turmoil happening in the church across, you know, the world, I imagine. Yeah. Um, but what are we doing here in Spokane then? Yeah. Well, here, here in Spokane, I think, uh, 
you know, we, we tend to continue to try to be involved in whatever issues call us to be involved. You know, we, we were involved a few years ago in helping to, uh, to get the marijuana legislation passed. In fact, Rick, Rick Steves came over, the, ho- the, the uh, sponsor of that bill, and, and spoke at our church. Uh, and so that was an, an attempt to get people to be, be involved in, uh, in that issue, which really was a matter of, of criminal justice, right? It wasn't so right. much a you know, matter of you know, the right to smoke marijuana. I mean, fine. Yeah, it was about locking people up. It was about locking <laughs> people up. And so you know, within the first six months of that bill passing, the number of stop and searches in Washington State were cut in half. Just in six months. I remember that. Yeah, it's incredible. Beautiful, beautiful. Half, story. half. Yeah. So these are the kind of things that that we we're we're involved we're involved in when we can. Uh, one of the things I was involved in a few years ago was uh, uh, I was the sponsor of a of a, a local ordinance that would have prohibited the railroad companies from bringing uh, fossil fuels through our community without stricter safety parameters. Um, Unfortunately, we were way outspent <laughs> uh, by the, the, the railroad, and that failed miserably in, in Spokane. But when the governor, Governor Inslee, was uh, determining whether or not he would give uh, a license to build a new export facility off of our coast, it would have been the final, the final, uh, the final license or permit he would, have, he would have been able to issue. He cited the concerns in that ordinance and his concern for Spokane in particular as the reason for denying that permit. And, and so that ended any more talk of putting new uh, facilities off of the Washington shores for transporting fossil fuels, which are, you know, really we all know is are an environmental hazard that need to be on their way out, not their way over. Yeah, and a million trains coming through downtown Spokane that are just bombs on wheels. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just my citizen hat. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're really proud of these histories. Uh, m- one of my predecessors, Bill Half, you know, in the in the '70s, he came here uh, from California, if I remember right, and and he had a, a, a PhD in chemistry. He was actually a chemist before he got into ministry, and he used that with a small group of others from our church and the community at large to expose the Hanford radiation leaks that, that ended up becoming national news, you know, back then, that, that hey, this, you know, we've been uh, yeah, knowing, my knowingly gr- irradiating. Killed my grandma. Is that right? Yeah, she's yeah. a downwinder. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bill Howe discovered the downwinders and uh, created HEAL, Hanford Education Action League, which, uh, which was the organization that, that would, you know, force the government to release those documents that they wouldn't release, and then to finally shut down that nuclear reactor. Wow. Right so here in Spokane. Right here in Spokane. So we're, we're a very proud congregation. We work with a, a lot of, you know, we, 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 do, we have no, no belief in hell or, or animosity towards different faiths. So we tend to work well with, uh, you know, interfaith organizations on, on a lot of projects when, thing, when things come up. We, like a lot of congregations, I think we're, we're, we're sort of coming back from COVID right now. We haven't been as active in, in uh, issues as, as we have because we've all been locked down and trying to figure out where we are and what's important right now and that kind of stuff. But uh, we're still here. We're still, awesome. We're still I'd scrapping. be remiss if I didn't thank you while we have you on for Skillskin because you, uh, your congregation, 
congregation allows us to have our holiday party. That's right. That's right. <laughs> in your yeah. building. And it's so been you... one of the best things that's happened to us. Like that, those facilities are wonderful. And for you to share your space with us is just, it's been a, a wonderful gift. So thank you. You're so welcome. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're very much in line with what, what you guys are doing at Skillskin. Uh, Brian Beeler, you know, the, the uh, CEO is a, is a dear friend, dear friend of mine. And uh, we we uh, we we met actually as part of the Rotary. We were both uh, newbies to the Rotary and, and and met there and been friend been friends ever since. So he's a he's an admirable guy at an admirable organization, an important organization for our community in particular. Well, we definitely appreciate that. And yeah, thank you, Brian. I'm glad yeah. we you all met. Yeah. Well, okay. So you've been here what, twelve years now, yeah. and yeah. so. You, you brought your kids up here? How old were they when they got here? Yeah, well, my son was, had just turned 19, and he, you know, he was born in Louisville, the, the navel of the universe, and was not about to come <laughs> with us, so he stayed, and my daughter, who had just finished her first year in high school, Cassidy, came with us, and uh, that was a hard move for her, but man, she excelled. I mean, she just was a Spokane scholar uh-huh. and valedictorian and, you know, dating the top athlete in the state and all that stuff, and then it was like, okay, now you got to go. So... <laughs> So uh, she she ended up uh, going to Western in, in Bellingham, and uh, my son, as I said, is still still in uh, Louisville. So we you know we came with three dogs and a and a daughter essentially, and uh-huh. two of the dogs are gone. One, the, the the puppy is now going on fourteen. Oh. <laughs> so so it's just Peggy and I, but we we just love Spokane. I mean, it, I, I don't think people in Spokane who are from Spokane uh, appreciate. I, I should say. Many I have met don't appreciate Spokane through the eyes of a of a foreigner. <laughs> the eyes. Well, of it's a, hard a, to right. You the you have less perspective. You have less perspective. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you and you you know you. Everybody who's ever talked to me about you know Spokane when I say oh I'm so excited to be to be there to come well now you know it's not Seattle you know, <laughs> and it's like yeah I've been no, to, I'm not. been to Seattle I'm really glad it's not Seattle you know I mean Seattle's great you know and and uh, there's some really beautiful places there if you don't mind driving to them, but I mean Spokane is breathtaking. Yeah, it is. This I mean I I walk up in these hills and I look out over the city and I say my God. We're a city in a vast ponderosa pine forest. You know, you can look out for miles and miles and miles that dwarf the city. And the people are friendly and kind, and, and it's, just a, it's just a beautiful place to live and so central to so many other beautiful places, no matter what direction you go. Uh, I just love it. You know, I just think it's a, it's a beautiful city. It has everything, yeah. all, the, all the amenities of a big city and all the pleasantries of a small town. True statement. Yeah, that idea of perspective, I think it's an important one. Um, you know, I'm a long, born and raised, you know, multi-generational in Spokane. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't have an appreciation for Ponderosa Pines ah. until recently. Like I've, uh, you know, always thought they were cool and mm-hmm. I'd go and be like, Hey, you're a big one. I want to touch you and all this. But, uh, my family's from, or my wife's family's from Kentucky. So the like Southeastern, like Corbin. Oh yeah. Yeah. in that area. And so they had come up and they just were commenting on the forest. Yeah. I was like, well, what are you talking about? It's like, <laughs> no, this is special. This is and special. I'm like, Oh, yep. You're right. And when I went down there and, it's the hardwood forest mm-hmm. and like the Daniel Boone. And that was beautiful in its own right, but it is it's different. It's different. <laughs> it, it, it is be- beautiful falls. Oh my God. The falls are, are outstanding. 
you know, in that part of the country. But my gosh, if if uh, if you like mosquitoes and you, and you like you like you know feeling like you're getting a, a bath 24 hours seven, uh, wherever you walk in the summertime because of the humidity, you know, then, then yeah, it's 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 tolerable. But <laughs> I I never I was born in San Francisco. I grew up in the Bay Area. Uh, on the cold coast and so i i like being cold and and uh i never did get used to the humidity i could have lived mm-hmm. in louisville my whole life i'd have been okay with it but uh, you wouldn't have got used to it <laughs> no i've never gotten used to it and, and uh i just never seem to have enough blood to satisfy the mosquitoes but this is beautiful and the mosquitoes here are pretty dumb you know they're like they're like airplanes you exactly can, you can feel them coming you know yeah like, no get out of here go it's away. not the swarm yeah right well, so, well, you know, going back to perspective, too, I'm, I keep thinking about now that you've been in town for a while, mm-hmm. it's like the, the shine wears off. You still you get to see Spokane for, you know, what it is. And you have, you know, a diverse congregation that you're working with. What are some of the things that you think that Spokane can aspire to or that we, you know, as community in general should be looking at to, you know, be better? Yeah. Yeah, I, I you know, that's that's a good question. There's 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 so much I think that uh, you know Spokane could could consider. One is is to have a better image of itself, and I think when we start to do that, we're gonna we're gonna actually make Spokane look better. I love that. Uh, one of my big pet peeves, Todd, is the on social media. There's like this hashtag Spokane doesn't suck. Mm-hmm. It oh. annoys me so much. I'm like, we should not use that about ourselves. I know it's like poking fun. Yeah. But there's it's based. Those things are kind of based in truth sometimes. And I it just it's a bad image. Like, let's project positivity. Right. Right. Yeah. Feel, feel Thanks for letting me ourselves. go there. Because, yeah, I'm like, oh, man, that really burns me inside. Right. right. And, and Spokane, it, you know, the, the other thing that, that kind of worries me is, is Spokane is, is growing. I, I don't think most people in the world appreciate what's happening to our cities globally right now. And we're not planning for it, right? So that's why we have a housing crisis. The housing crisis is, is, is caused by a shortage in the market. Yep. Right? We start, They say, oh, trace it back to 2008. Well, no, we've got to trace it back to about 1900 you know that's when about five percent of the population lived in cities today in the u.s it's 81 percent so this great migration great migration into cities in the last hundred years and particularly picked up since the mid-70s so in 73 we had the the third mega city was was uh introduced to the planet that was mexico city i think it was los angeles and new york were the other two so just right now, a megacity is you know defined as 10 million or more citizens, right? Big cities. Today we have thir- today we have 37 on the planet, with about 10 more, less than just a few hundred thousand from becoming megacity. So over 9 million already. 12 times the amount in yeah, such a short in such period. a short time. So people okay. are in, and so for this right, is a great right, perspective. Thank you. Right, it's really important to pay attention to this for for our city planners. Right, because it means we're not going to stop growing. Now we could. There could be some technological shifts, where suddenly, you know, like what's happened with the pandemic, where, where more of us are able, able to work remotely. Right. We've got some. You know, I just saw the technology, uh, the the uh, the glasses that uh, Apple has put out that that are they're giving us spatial, you know, spatial computation. So it may be that technology will allow us to go to work from anywhere, and a lot of us say, you know what. 
this city life really isn't what it's cracked out to be. I want to go back out into the rural communities. But there's so much, right? So, so I mean, when, when you talk about moving into the cities, we have a lot of problems in our cities. One, we're not planning appropriately. We are not keeping up with the housing demand of the future, let alone of today. That's a big problem. But we've also got an awful lot of our, our brothers and sisters out in the rural communities whose lives have been devastated. Yeah. Right? And when, you know, people on my side of the political spectrum are out marching in the streets in the cities on behalf of some people that deserve to be have us there in solidarity, we're not marching in solidarity in the rust belts of the country, in the breadbasket of the country, in the, in the abandoned coal mines of the country, where there's no more work, where people's nest eggs have become worthless because nobody wants them, where their friends have moved out, where their industry has moved out, where their kids have left. They, they have shrunk. And when people come come around and say, you know, we, we want to make this this country great again, and we're gonna we're gonna reopen these kind of industries, which of course is a lie because right. we don't need them. If we needed them, we'd we'd we have, would have them. We'd Business have them. would drive that. Yeah, we don't need them anymore. So what are we gonna do? To, what do we do for our friends in these rural communities, whose lives have been literally devastated at the same time our, our cities are being overwhelmed? Great question. And and, and and I mean, the Democrats need to address this. And again, not to get political. The Democratic Party's not addressing the concerns of millions of Americans whose economies have been ruined. And it's no wonder that they're upset. <laughs> yeah, like if if I put myself in someone's shoes like that, I would be mad. Yeah. Be, I would be angry because yeah. it's like, oh. Yeah, and so we have to figure that out, right? Spokane is prime for figuring that out because Spokane is already a hub to those rural communities. And has been since its inception. Has been since its inception. So how do we we share the wealth? How do we create opportunities and and, and a fair system that helps to support those people living in those those rural communities? That's a big, big question. I love that for us too, because as a community, if we can address in some way, I think uh, something I think that we're doing, I didn't even equate this, but like the medical schools here, like helping uh, in rural health, trying Mm -hmm. to train up the next generation of doctors and specifically help them get into the rural areas. Right. That. That's something that Spokane's doing. There's something that Spokane's doing. Like, yeah. Uh, do you have any other specific ideas uh, that you might want to share that we might, you know, as a community think about? Because oh, wow. it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Do I have any other specific ideas? Just, you know, we solve the world's problems on yeah. Good Gab. No big yeah. deal. Well, I, I, I just think, we, you know, the, the big thing is for our, our leaders to, our, our leaders here to start, start to come together on these issues and recognize that that a lot of people who are upset are upset because they have legitimate concerns uh, regardless of where they live or, or how they vote. And when, when, when our leaders start caring about them, then it's going to be better you know, for, for all of us, and we're all going to lighten up a little. There's so much tension and fear and anger and anxiety and mistrust of each other because we're not there for each other like we should be. So that's the first thing we've got to, we've got to really be be there for each other and understand the problems and figure out the solutions. Um, so that's a big one. Now, I, I while I have the opportunity, one thing I would say that I think is important or I feel is important when 
in Louisville, in Louisville, Kentucky, many, many years ago now, uh, way, way back when I first moved there in, 80, in the 80s, they started a program, the, what, what would be the, basically the waste management there, right? Okay. Started a program called Operation Brightside. And this was a, a sort of, uh, it, it, was, it was ran by the city, by waste management, but it, it, it's, it was completely volunteer. So, so they would have these beautiful orange T-shirts, Operation Brightside, and they'd go into a neighborhood and they'd get volunteers, churches, neighbors, whatever, and they would clean and manicure their area. Be a real service to their neighborhood. Real service to their neighborhood. And, and then the city would pick up those orange bags and, you know. But, but you know, Spokane is as is, is beautiful as the landscape is. You know, there's, you know, cr- the cracks have weeds growing out of them. Uh, there's The streets have, you know, st- strings of grass going from one end to the other just about every neighborhood you go. Uh, the hillsides are, are overgrown with with grass and weeds during the summer, we, we, we don't do anything about that. And, and I think that is a part of the negative image that people here feel, right? That, that doesn't make us feel good not to care for how we present ourselves. And so that is one thing I would, I would consider, I think the city should do is, is say, you know, let's go to a city like Louisville or whoever has these, these programs, figure out what they did, and if there's something we can do like that here, because if I had the, if we had the, the support, I think a lot of us would say, yeah, we'll, we'll go do our part. Yeah. We'll, we'll clean this just up. Just need a framework, right? Like, yeah. That's what this show's about, you know, in its core is helping our listeners, you know, be inspired by someone that comes on and help them uh, connect to an organization or a movement. Um, and that's what you're describing right here. Yeah. It's like to challenge our city, make a framework mm-hmm. where we can, you know, helps be in service to our neighborhoods. Right. I think about right now, like uh, I go over the Maple Street Bridge, you know, pretty mm-hmm. often and my rounds for work and um, just that hillside. Yeah. That's what I think of uh, as you're yeah. describing it. Yeah. It's just the weed hillside. Yeah. And it's like if people, you know, could come together and just, you know, put some hours in, it could be really beautiful. And that's a central part it's of our city. Part. Yeah. Yeah, and you and you do see other cities, not all, but you go through a lot of big cities, and it's like, wow, this looks fantastic, it's beautiful, all right? So, so that would be a great thing to do. Another, another service that that we could do, I don't know if the city if the city would help with this or not by maybe creating some sort of you know orange bright bag, yellow bag, whatever. But with with the with the homeless crisis we're in, we we also have a garbage crisis. Yeah, and, and everybody gets mad. Why are these people? Why, my God, they're just throwing their trash out. You know, I, I, in, in my neighborhood, there's a place where, where some parking goes on and lots of trash. And one day I was coming up, I, I saw somebody had taken all of their garbage out of their car, but it looked like they were working on the car. When I came back, they were just pulling off and the, the, the trash was still there. And I pulled over, kind of hot, rolled down the window. The guy comes over and he says, can I help you? I said, well, yeah, what are you doing? He says, well, I was just about to pick up this trash. You know, I said, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and, I, and as he's walking back over there, I thought, now what is he going to do with that trash? Great point. He doesn't have any city services. If he dumps it in somebody's trash can, they're going to call the cops on him. And I got out. I said, you know what? I'm going to take this. Tra- I've got a trash can. You don't. You go ahead. I'll take care of this. 
and I, you know, he had this old, you know, really rotten, dirty mattress. I won't say any more about it, but rolled everything up in that, put it in my seat and stuffed it down into my can and had him take it. And I thought, we can do that. You know, when we, when we see areas that are littered with trash, those of us who have trash cans can fill up a bag and take it home and throw it away for our neighbors, for our homeless neighbors, because that's who they are. They are our neighbors. And, and uh, at least take care of that piece for them. And it'd be great if, if the city would start a program where they'd give out some bags to people just for that purpose, you know, marked big yellow bag, and maybe the city would come by and pick them up. We could even give those to some of the folks that are without homes right now and say, here, you know, put your trash in this, leave it there. We'll come grab we'll it. We'll come and grab it. Because we end up coming grabbing it anyway. Yeah, we come and grab it anyway. It could be a, a good neighbor or a good citizen you know, way of helping if we were passing out these bags and set either setting them there or the, the folks who fill them could set them there and we could say, hey, there's one of the bags. I'm going to take it and put it in my trash can. That's real doable. It reminds me of a program uh, that we set up at uh, Catalyst, the um, transitional housing facility up on uh, Sunset Hill with uh, Catholic Charities. Mm-hmm. And the residents there just recently started to pick up trash in that neighborhood because they wanted to be yeah. in service to the neighborhood. Yeah. And they're like, hey, we're here, and how, how can we help? And this was the way. And, you know, they went, it was over uh, 2,000 pounds of trash that they picked up over the course of a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And that just inspired a lot of people. And now more residents want to get involved. So wow. they're going to keep doing that. And yeah. I just think about it in my own neighborhood, too. Like, um, it's been a long time when I, we used to live in the Shadle uh, neighborhood. Our daughter and I, like, we'd go around with, that was the game. We'd just go pick up trash in our neighborhood. It was a little thing to do. To like We called it helping the earth. But I didn't really connect it that it's helping the image of our town, too. Yeah. And our self-worth our yeah. as citizens. I love that. Yeah. That's a challenge to you, anyone who's listening today. Like, just look at your own neighborhood. But grab, you know, that little Costco bag uh, for your uh, kitchen. Just walk around. Take your kids. Pick up your neighborhood a little bit. Just see how that makes you feel. See what kind of conversations come out of that. That's a great one, Todd. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to think, to think out loud here. Heck, yeah. Well, oh, I'm just... We could talk to you all day, but we're we're running out of time. Right. I'm wondering, you know, any uh, any parting thoughts today for our listeners? Anything that you've been thinking about that you want anyone to hear? What I would say is, you know, the the secret to being positive is realizing that our species is inherited some ancient instincts for fear we actually have two special parts in the brain the amygdala that are wired for fear that keep us hyper vigilant all the time we're the only animal that stands up which is a posture of fear and looks forward which is you know what is out there going to eat me we don't need to be afraid anymore there's no lions and tigers or or serpents or whatever that are going to, to to bite us in the grasses but we still think like that and so we see the negative we're wired to see the negative there are so many good people in the world doing good things to try to improve the lives of all of us. And I know there's a lot of people out there that maybe aren't so nice, but I don't know a lot of them. Me either. And when I ask people, who are these people? Do you know any of them? No, not really. Most of the people we know are, are good-hearted people just trying to make their way through the world. They care about their neighbors as much as they care about themselves. 
if we just will open our eyes, you know, we're, we're like a radio that's been tuned into one channel, the negative news. But there's so much more to the spectrum than we're seeing right now. And all we have to do is look, and that can help us through the difficult times. Here, here. Todd, thanks for joining us today. It's just been a real pleasure. Thank you. It's been great to be with you. I really appreciate <laughs> you letting me ramble. 